All right, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. So if you would uh, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. Old Testament, after the book of Ezra. If that doesn't help at all, use a Bible app or get your neighbor's Bible and give them yours. So Nehemiah chapter 1 this evening. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are the God of restoration. You're able to take uh, broken walls and broken lives and rebuild us and restore us for your glory. We pray you would give us uh, your burden, your eyes to see and ears to hear things that are on your heart and to cry out to you in prayer and in our lifetime, in our generation, Lord, in our time that we could see you rebuild those broken walls of defense. So God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. It seems that the book of Nehemiah is really applicable uh, for us right now because the temple had been, be, been rebuilt, but there was no wall of defense around the temple. And that's really what burdened Nehemiah's heart. And in the same way, I think that that's what's uh, going on in the lives of believers. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but yet there isn't that wall of defense that is around us. And God's the one who is able to rebuild the wall. And there's a physical wall that's built in the book of Nehemiah, but a spiritual wall that needs to be built in in our lives. Whether it's broken families, broken marriages, broken relationships uh, with kids, fear, living in in a place of fear living in bondage to sexual sin or or drugs and and alcohol. We look at our country and our country is broken down. Those walls of of defense for our country, not not a physical wall, but a spiritual wall, the wall of truth. Truth has been broken down in our country. And God wants to do this work of repair and God wants to do this work of, of restoration in our lives. I've themed this book uh, side by side because as we'll see in a few chapters, as they built the wall, they did it next to each other. There's one whole chapter that we'll study where it says next to them, next to them, next to them. The families are building next to each other to rebuild this wall. I think that really fits for the time that we're living in. I don't know about you, but we can't do this alone. We can't do it apart from Christ, and we can't do it apart from one another, brothers and and sisters in Christ. And we have to be planted next to each other and working together. As you can imagine, the enemy opposes this work. Satan's not excited that the temple is going to be fortified and launches an attack. And the same's true in our lives when we seek to see God reclaim territory that has been in defeat. The enemy's going to attack. But there's a great plan in the book of Nehemiah to see God do that great work of, of victory. So I'd encourage you to dive in and really study the book of Nehemiah. Read ahead and, and make it personal. Before we get into our text uh, tonight, we've got to do a little bit of history to really understand this. And it starts in Deuteronomy 28, where God said to the children of Israel that if they were to obey, God would bless them. But if they were to disobey, God would send them into captivity and scatter them among the lands. And that's exactly what uh, took place. Idolatry plagued the children of Israel. And God ultimately sent them into captivity. 
And it was the northern kingdom that went into captivity first, the northern ten tribes. In 722 BC, they were taken captive by the Assyrians. Then it wasn't until 586 BC that the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were taken captive by the Babylonians. And that's what we know of Daniel's life. He lived in that Babylonian empire. But in the midst of this captivity, God promised that he would bring them back into the land. It would be 70 years of captivity, but then ultimately he would bring them back into the land. Amazing God's work of restoration and redemption. Most of the time, when a country is taken out of their land, kidnapped, placed into a new foreign country, over time they get assimilated. They just lose their culture. They go away in all reality as a nation. But that's not what happened to the nation of Israel. God preserved them, kept their identity as a nation, and opened the door for them to come back to the land. If you read the book of Ezra, in fact, when these were originally written, Ezra and Nehemiah were the same book. We've divided it into two books, but they're really one story because Ezra documents the temple being rebuilt under Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel comes and rebuilds uh, the temple, and Ezra really rebuilds the community, God's people. He invests in God's people. Ezra, Zerubbabel invests in the building. And we pick up on this in Nehemiah's life, where, where Nehemiah is still in captivity, and he hears that the temple is rebuilt, but the walls are, are broken down, and he has a heart to see the walls be rebuilt. By the time it comes to Nehemiah, it's the Persians that are in control. The Persians conquer the Babylonians, and Nehemiah is serving under the Persians. So that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev. The month is important. It's the Jewish calendar. It's November, December, our time frame. And we'll see why as we go through our, our text this evening, why the month is important. But it's the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Sushan, the citadel. Now, Sushan was the winter palace of the Persians. And it's mentioned a few other times in Scripture. We see it mentioned in Daniel chapter 8, verse 2, where, where Daniel is in Sushan. We also find Esther is in the palace of Sushan. So I want us to stop and try to bring some context to this, because do you ever feel like you're living in the Persian Empire? Do you ever feel like you're living in a pagan society with a pagan government that doesn't want to have anything to do with God? And you're wondering, is God on the move? Well, read the book of Esther. Read the book of Daniel. Read the book of Nehemiah. Because in the midst of that harsh spiritual environment, God was working. And he was raising up strong men and women of God. Daniel to stand strong. Esther to stand strong. Nehemiah to stand strong. God is the one who's on the throne. It's not the Persians who are on the throne. God's on the throne and he is working. And the same is happening in our day. We have a very pagan government. We have a very pagan culture. And God is looking for the few. He's looking for those that will surrender their hearts to him that he wants to use. So here's Nehemiah 
He's planted right here in Sushan, in the citadel. In verse 2, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So Hananiah comes back after being in Jerusalem, comes back to Sushan, the citadel. Nehemiah sees Hananiah, and he asks him, hey, how are the people doing that have returned from captivity? How is Jerusalem? How's the status of Jerusalem? What's the state of the wall around the temple? Is there that wall of protection? And this is the first thing I want us to consider tonight, is that Nehemiah is concerned enough to ask. He's concerned enough to ask. There's a whole move of God that takes place simply because Nehemiah cares about the state of God's people, the state of Jerusalem, the, the state of the, the wall. And could it be that God is going to do a movement, that he's going to work, that there's going to be spiritual opportunities that happen in God's kingdom simply by being concerned to ask, to really be concerned about how God's people are doing, to be concerned about how marriages are going, to, to be concerned about how teens are, are doing in our, in our church family. Please pray for our junior high kids. They're up at retreat this weekend at Quaker Ridge, about 60 of them. There's, they were so excited to go after all of the quarantines that have taken place, and they're actually there. It didn't get, get canceled, and we're praying that God is going to move powerfully in, in their lives. But we want to take the time to ask whether it's about believers or, or unbelievers, God could do a great work in people's lives if we simply look into the pain that they're going through and ask them, how are they doing? Today, Wyatt and I were at Come and Go, and we pull in, and there are these kids next to us, probably 18 or 19, and they really caught my attention because they were just locked in on their phones in a way that I hadn't seen before. Like, Obviously, people are on phones all the time, but they're sitting in the driver's seat and the passenger seat, and they're just there playing their video games, and the whole world around them is completely locked out in a way that, you know, our generation really doesn't do. It's like, yeah, you might get out to read the news or shoot a text, but their whole world was, was into this. So we go in to get what we needed and come out, and I was really bothered was bothered. It just seemed like they were zombies looking at their, at their phones. And I felt like the Lord was like, well, why don't you go talk to them? I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that, right? <laughs> like, I just want to complain about how locked they are on their phones. And I just kept feeling this burden to, to go and talk to them. So I get out, and it was kind of awkward, and I went over to the driver's side where the guy was and just tried to strike up a, a conversation. And you know, there was no fireworks, you know, the guy didn't receive Christ or not any significant uh, open door. But at least it was like, man, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm concerned about you. you you're, you're just locked into your phone. Like, what in the world's going on in, in your life? And what are you up to? And what do you think about, about Jesus and these type of things? And as life gets going so fast, it's easy to not be concerned. We're not concerned about things that we should be concerned about. This is something that Nehemiah should be concerned about. 
he should be concerned about God's people and the condition of the walls around the temple. And maybe there's a lot of things that we're concerned about that we shouldn't be concerned about, and we're neglecting some things that are burdening God's heart that really should burden our heart as well. But great fruit can happen if we're concerned enough to ask. In verse 3, then they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So the people of God are in great distress. The walls are broken down and the six gates have been burned with fire. The wall of defense around the temple has been destroyed. These walls would be so important in protecting the temple. In the ancient world, the wall is what kept the enemy out. In this land, there was many that were in opposition to Israel and opposition to the temple and would want to come in and destroy and and desecrate the temple. We know for us that we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God's presence lives in us as believers. And I think in many ways, we're living our lives with a temple that has no wall of defense around it. And it's very easy for the enemy and our flesh to have a field day in our lives. And God would want to rebuild or possibly build the wall for the very first time in our lives. What are some ways that you see in our lives as believers that the wall of defense has been broken down. One that comes to mind is in sexual integrity. Believers' lives are being destroyed continually through sexual sin. When you read the scriptures, it's amazing how much that God talks about his design for sexuality. And that's extremely being attacked, isn't it? We're living in a world that's thrown out God's commands on sexuality is extremely confused, even to the point of gender of of male and female. And many believers have gotten to the place when it comes to sexual integrity where they say, you know, I don't really need to live inside of God's word of what he commands for sex to be in a commitment between a husband and a wife in, in marriage. One of the things that has been I think hard for a lot of us as believers is to hear what's been exposed about Ravi Zacharias's life and the sexual sin that was in his life for for a long time and now it's gotten exposed after he's gone home to to be with the Lord. And that's caused great damage. Ravi, a great speaker, a great apologist, led many people to the Lord and to see that he was living his life in, in duplicity, the wall is broken down. That wall of defense was, was broken down. And I'm not picking on Rabbi Zacharias. It just, it just highlights the fact that this sexual integrity seems to be missing in the church as, as a whole and Satan's really having a field day. And wouldn't it be wonderful to see that wall of defense get rebuilt in our lives as believers that we could walk in sexual integrity? Think how that would foster and protect our relationship with the Lord, how that would build up families and strengthen marriages and strengthen the next generation. 
Imagine what God could do in our young people if they choose to follow the Lord in sexual integrity, if they choose to follow his design. Young people, I would encourage you, man, God created you male. Don't be ashamed of it. God created you female. Don't be ashamed of it. There is a difference between men and women. And don't fall into the lie that sexual sin won't damage you. It will destroy you. And to choose to live for the Lord, no matter what your age is, to to choose to live for the Lord in this area. But that's a way that it seems like the wall of defense has been broken down. Amongst believers also, the, the wall of defense of valuing life. Do you know that valuing life is a wall of defense around the temple? The sacredness of life? And this is being attacked, isn't it? Abortion, suicide, euthanasia, all point back to the same issue that we're created in God's image. He's the author of life and we don't get to take life. We don't get to take life in abortion. We don't get to take life in suicide. We don't get to take life at the end of life when someone's terminally ill and decide, okay, it's time for your life to be done and practice euthanasia. All three of those are rampant in the state of Colorado. State of Colorado is one of the only states that has late-term abortion, and we voted to defend it just a few months ago. Overwhelmingly, Colorado says we want to kill our babies in the last term of of their pregnancy. That's our state that we live in. Our suicide rates are higher than most of the rest of the country. We have legalized in Colorado if you're terminally ill and a doctor says, hey, you're terminally ill, so here's some pharmaceutical drugs that will end your life. You go to the pharmacy, pick up the drugs, and that's it. I hate seeing people suffer at the end of life. It raises up a lot of questions, but God has a purpose even for the suffering at the end of life. It all comes back to the sanctity of human life. That's got to get rebuilt amongst the people of God, amongst us, where we come to understand that's a wall of defense. Literal temples are getting destroyed. Believers' lives are getting destroyed through, through these things. The wall of sober living, that sounds kind of serious, doesn't it? It almost sounds ancient. What in the world is sober living? H- how many times does the abuse of drugs and alcohol damage a believer's life? That's the temple of God. Getting drunk, doing drugs, being on some substance that limits the control of the Holy Spirit. God's got more for our lives. I can't tell you the times as a pastor where drugs and alcohol have been in the mix from some really terrible decisions. The abuse of drugs, then the abuse of of alcohol. And if that's the place that you're at tonight, and I'm bringing up all these things, not to highlight the brokenness, but to highlight God's ability to restore, amen? Amen. God's ability to rebuild the wall. God can, can rebuild a life that's been destroyed by sexual sin. God can rebuild a life that, (coughs) excuse me, is suffering from depression. God can rebuild a life that is given over to drugs and given over to, to alcohol. He has the ability to do that. The walls of the commitment to family. We as a culture don't commit to family anymore. 
to marriage and to, to our kids. We take it very flippantly. It's here nor there, and it causes so much damage, but the Lord wants to rebuild that. One of the biggest walls that I see that's been destroyed in our lives is actually our identity in Christ. What protects our temple more than anything else is to know that you're loved by God. Knowing who you are in Christ, that nothing can separate you from God's love, that you don't earn or deserve your salvation, that your identity is not found in your accomplishments and what you're able to do in the gym or how much money you make or the kind of cars that you drive or the status of your vacation. But who you are is that you are loved by God, that you are beloved by him. To know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That is our wall of defense. We have good news. We serve the God of the resurrection. And God was able to rebuild this physical wall, and he's also able to rebuild the wall in our lives as well. As you look at your life, where is the wall broken down? Do you believe that God can rebuild the wall? Absolutely. As you look around at the people of God, where do you see the walls broken down? And do you believe that God can rebuild the wall? Absolutely. Rebuild that wall of, of defense. There's a promise that God gives in the minor prophets and says that he restores the years that the locusts have eaten. Locusts coming in, destroying crops, and like the children of Israel, sin comes in and destroys our lives. But God's able to restore those years in a way that only he can if we turn to him. In verse four, so it was when I heard these words. So it was when I heard these words. Nehemiah is concerned enough to ask, but he also takes time to listen. He hears these words. He, he heard the distress that was taking place in Jerusalem. And for us to be burdened to a point where we pray, we need to hear the words around us, hear the words of, of brokenness around us. I know this is exhausting. I know this is wearisome for us. We're like, I'm just tired of hearing bad news. I'm tired of hearing how the people of God are struggling. I'm tired of hearing about the, the chaos in our country. But if we simply turn off our ears, we're not gonna have broken hearts that move us to a place of prayer. Are you hearing the brokenness in your family? Are you hearing the brokenness in your spouse? Are you hearing the brokenness in your kids? Are you hearing the brokenness amongst the people of God? Are you hearing your, your friends that are saying, man, I'm exhausted, I don't know what to do, fear has overcome. Are we hearing the brokenness in our land? Are we hearing the strife? Are we hearing the fear? Are we hearing the angst? Are we hearing the cries of, of violence that is taking place? Or have we tuned it off? I don't know if you've noticed this over the course of time. When there used to be mass shootings in our country, man, it devastated us, didn't it? Can't believe that this, this took place. I remember the first mass shooting that took place in Oregon where I grew up when I was about 19 years old. And it was, it was just shocking that that took place. Most of you remember Columbine and the shock that that took throughout Colorado and throughout our country 
But now, unfortunately, sometimes when there's a mass shooting, it hardly makes the news. And when we hear about it, if we're not careful, it doesn't even phase us. We just go, oh, there was a, another shooting. We're not taking the time to listen. I don't like doing this, but I try to make it a habit when there's a shooting in our country, a mass shooting, is actually to go and look at the pictures of the people that got murdered, the innocent lives that were taken, and to think about this is someone's mom, this is someone's daughter, this is someone's, this is someone's husband, this was a life that was, was cut short, and to cry out to God for that senseless violence that was, was taking place. But it's easy to get calloused. It's easy for me to, to not take time to listen because it's painful. When I listen, it, it's painful. But Nehemiah, he stops and he listens. And I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. So after listening, having a heart that's soft enough to mourn. When was the last time that we mourned in a biblical sense? That we grieved in a, a biblical sense with a godly sorrow? Just like that, there's things that should concern us, there's things that should bring us to tears. There's things that should cause us to mourn. How many other people heard about the condition of Jerusalem, the walls, the people of God, and they moved on with their day? Like, man, I, I got stuff to do here in Sushan. The dog needs to be let out to the bathroom. Costco's calling my name again, right? I got to mow the lawn. The boss needs this. There's more email to be get done. The car insurance needs to get paid. Just moved along with, with their lives and didn't stop and mourn. And Nehemiah, he, he mourns and he weeps. His heart's broken over the condition of Israel. Calling comes out of burden. I want you to hear that tonight. Calling comes out of burden. Many times when God is calling you, he's gonna place a burden on you that you can't shake. And you're gonna start to feel compassion towards a group of people. And it's gonna be uncomfortable. And it's gonna be painful. You're like, man, I don't wanna feel this. This is inconvenient for my, my life. But, but the Lord places it on you and it moves you to pray. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah has faith enough to pray. After he mourns, then he prays. Would you guys mind if I tied my shoe? I'm gonna tie my shoe. Yeah. Don't wanna make the preacher's YouTube reel of bloopers, right? This to me shows how much that Nehemiah values prayer. Because with this level of pain and mourning and need, the children of Israel are in distress, it'd be very easy to go into go mode. I gotta fix this. I gotta solve this. There's danger here. But instead, he prays. And if you look down into chapter two, verse one, we see that Nehemiah doesn't take action until the month of Nisan, which is March or April. So he prays from November, December to 
March and April time frame. Four or five months, he prays. We don't see him talking to anyone. We don't see him trying to solve this. He simply brings this need before God over and over and over and over again. And he's moved to the point where he fasts. He gives up food at times to draw near to the Lord in prayer. So this challenges us, how much do we value prayer? How much do we believe that prayer makes a difference? So here's this brokenness in my life. I've tried to fix it, can't fix it. Here's this brokenness in someone else's life that I really love, tried to fix it, can't fix it. Here's brokenness in the people of God, can't fix it. Here's brokenness in our country, can't fix it. But who can? God can. And do we really believe that? And if we do, we'll be moved to prayer. So here's his prayer in verse five. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. He doesn't start with the need, but he starts with, God, you're awesome. You're the awesome God. You are the limitless God. Nothing is too difficult for you. God, you're able to restore this marriage. God, you're able to reach this teen. God, you're able to deliver from drugs and alcohol. You can set free from sexual sin. You're the awesome God. You're not limited. And for us to get our eyes upon the Lord, sometimes we're so fixed on our problem that we lose sight of how big God is. So we gotta get our eyes on the Lord. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, begin this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Remembering our relationship with God and remembering how awesome he is. And that's where Nehemiah starts. God, you're awesome. You keep your covenant. You keep your word. Lord, I know that you're gonna be faithful to your word. I'm gonna pray according to your promises. Then he brings his petition before the Lord. Please let your ear be attentive and your ears open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. Parents of young children have attentive ears to the needs of their kids. When an infant is in the crib in the other room, mom and dad have attentive ears. I saw it tonight in the foyer. A girl about 18 months slipped off her chair and hit her head on the concrete. That's the worst part of the concrete. It's the little kids and take the brunt of the concrete. And mom and dad were right there because they have attentive ears to the needs of their kids. And what Nehemiah is saying is, God, would you give me your attentive ear? God, would you give your attention to this need? I'm bringing it before you. For the children of Israel, your servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. As Nehemiah prays, he acknowledges the problem. He says, God, it's our sin. It's our sin. We don't see that Nehemiah is living his life in rebellion to God, but he lumps himself in with the sin amongst God's people, and he says, God, we have sinned against you. This is showing humility before God, humbling ourselves before the Lord. 
Church, this is a big part of restoration in our lives. Restoration amongst God's people, restoration in our land, is as we confess our sins before God. We don't justify it. We agree with God. God, it's wrong for me to act this way, and I'm sinning before you. And to acknowledge the the sin of the body of Christ as, as a whole. And to take that posture of of humbling ourselves before the Lord. God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. He's waiting to bring that work of restoration in our lives until we humble ourselves. Until our hearts are broken and we confess our sins before him. In verse 8, remember I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful... I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of of you were cast out to the farthest part of heaven, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Deuteronomy 30, two through five. God says, yeah, if you are unfaithful, I'm gonna scatter you, but... If you return to me, then I'm going to gather you and I'm going to bring you back to the land. So Nehemiah is praying through that promise, saying, Lord, we're returning back to you. We're coming back to you. What's so humbling about the book of Nehemiah is God does this work of rebuilding the wall through one cupbearer who's available before the Lord, who's willing to be broken in prayer. At this point, we don't see a prayer meeting of five people. We don't see a prayer meeting of 50 people or 500 people. We see one man that's broken before God and saying, Lord, would you forgive us of our sins? Great movements of God have always begun in prayer. In the hearts and lives of individuals that are broken before God, crying out before the Lord, and God works in a a powerful way. Now these are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. He remembers their relationship that they have with God. God, we're your people. And as we pray, Lord, we're your people. We're your sons, we're your daughters. We're the sheep, you're the shepherd. We're the people of your your pasture. Remembering that they've been redeemed by God. We've been redeemed by God. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servant who desires to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. There's a vision that starts to brew in Nehemiah's heart. Possibly could Nehemiah have been placed in a strategic position by God as the king's cupbearer. Trusted position with the king would be the one to test all of the king's food and beverages in case someone was trying to to poison him, would have a relationship with the king. And Nehemiah starts to dream, what if I ask the king if I can go back and rebuild the wall? What makes a cupbearer think that he can be a general contractor? What makes a cupbearer think that he can build a wall? because he knew the God that's not limited. And he begins to look around in his life and go, well, maybe God put me right here for for such a time as this. 
think this is really important for us to hear right now. We tend to think that God is just using people that work at a church or work at a nonprofit, and you go, well, man, I don't work at a church or I don't work at a nonprofit. I happen to, to work for the king of Persia, right? My, king, my boss might as well be Nebuchadnezzar. And there's all these secular policies and things that are totally against God. Well, God has strategically placed you in that company, in that secular line of work. And if the Lord's put you in a nonprofit, put you in a church, he's using you there as well. But don't think that, well, because my job is in this secular corporation that God couldn't use me because the Lord wants to use you just like he used Nehemiah. And as you begin to pray, Lord, how can you use me in this current situation that I'm in? Here I'm a teacher in this school. Lord, would you use me? Okay, Lord, I've been strategically placed in Starbucks. Did you know we need missionaries to Starbucks, right? Lord, you've placed me here, and I have a position of responsibility. How can I be a light? The Lord has put you in that university. We need missionaries to UCCS, don't we? Those that are faithfully loving and serving the Lord, if the God, Lord's given you a job at UCCS, that's a huge deal. That's an opportunity to, to be a light. You're a nurse. That, that's an opportunity to, to be a light. Wherever the Lord has placed you, this is where God has me. And Lord, would you open doors in the midst of, of that place? So we ask and we listen and we grieve and we pray believing that God is able to restore, believing that God's able to rebuild the the walls. It's an interesting day at the office here on Thursday. Robert and I were in his office meeting on some things and Rhonda buzzed his office as we got a guy that's belligerent down in the foyer. So, Robert walks down the stairs with his coffee mug. I, I walked down the stairs with my teacup. It was the afternoon. I was drinking some tea. And we get those calls fairly often around here. And so it wasn't a huge surprise. But this young man, he was here upset and Rhonda asked, hey, can I, how can I help you? She's receptionist. We have a food pantry, and that's all she could get out. And then he started getting belligerent and cussing and was amped up on some drugs. And before you knew it, he kicked out the glass on the door going out. You probably wouldn't even notice it, but if you look closely, the glass is, is kicked out. And, you know, and then he, he ran off, and some things happened from there, and he ultimately... Got, got arrested. Uh, but I've just been thinking since then, like, you know, that, that's somebody's son. At some point, some mom held him and loved him and cared for him and had high hopes for his life. And here he is in his late 20s and is all cranked up on some kind of drug and violent and I'm praying for him. I, I I believe that 
jail's a good place for him to be right now. And hopefully God can get his attention as he's in that place. But, but his life right now represents broken down walls, right? And for us to take a moment this evening and to look at our own lives and go, what are some things that I need to be grieving over in my life where there's broken down walls? If there's a lack of sexual integrity, we need to weep about that before the Lord and ask that God would do a, a restorative work. If there's a pattern of abuse to drugs and abuse to alcohol, man, that should bring us to brokenness and say, Lord, would you do a restorative work in my life? If there's a repeated pattern of covetousness and, and anger and jealousy, that should bring us to brokenness, to cry out before the Lord and say, God, would you do a work in my life? I'm crying out to you, God. And thankfully, he's able to do it. As we cry out to him in humility, and as we'll see as we go through the, the text, as we rely upon the Lord and rely upon one another, in 52 days, God rebuilds the wall. And God in our lives can, can do that restorative work if we're willing to, to turn to him. And then as the Lord rebuilds our lives, to look out and to see hurting people and to see lives that are destroyed, believers and unbelievers, and come alongside of them with the love of God and see God do a restorative work. It's so beautiful when God puts his restorative work upon our lives. So let's take time with Nehemiah chapter one. Would you come out on Wednesday night to the night of, of prayer and worship? Like, well, let's move deeper into prayer this week as a church family together, but also individually. Is there a, a lunch that you could give up this week to fast and pray? Is there a breakfast that you could give up this week to fast and pray? Are you really disturbed about things that you see in our land and in our country? Would you pray about it? Would you pray about it? There's some serious things that are, that are happening and, and take that before the God of the universe, the God that's not limited, the God that's able to bring life where, where there's death. Because when the people of God, when we humble ourselves and when we pray, man, the sky's the limit. Who knows what God's gonna do? Who knows what doors that he's gonna, gonna open. So allow the Lord to burden you. Allow the Lord to, to bring us to that place of crying out before him. So let's pray together. Would you stand with me and let's humble ourselves before the Lord. And Father, thank you that you restore you restore what's been damaged and burned due to sin. Would you help us to believe that you can do that restorative work in our lives and in the lives of others? And God, would you forgive us of our sin? We humble ourselves before you. Would you forgive us of the sexual sin that's in the church amongst the people of God? Or would you forgive us for adopting the, the world's view on sex and on gender. Lord, and would you build up a wall of defense amongst your people 
Help us to walk in integrity in that way. Would, would you protect us as a church family from sexual sin? Would you protect marriages from the damage of sexual sin? Would you protect our singles, Lord, as they live out sexual integrity? That you give them strength and fill them with the power of your spirit. God, would you forgive us for not valuing life? Would you forgive us that believers commit suicide? Or would you forgive us for abortion? Would you forgive us for killing our elderly? God, as a state, the state of Colorado, would, would you forgive us? We, we've adopted laws that are completely contrary to, to your word. Lord, we, we have voted to to kill babies. Lord, would you for, forgive us? Would you help us to, to know that we're loved by you? May we know the height and the depth and the width of your love. May we be secure in your love. May we find our identity there. And we pray in our, our church, Lord, that this wall of defense would be rebuilt, be fortified, be, be strengthened. But not just in our church, but in the, in the community, Lord. Would many people come to know you? Would the lost be found? May our country turn back to you, God. Lord, as we think of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, you got Nebuchadnezzar's attention, this pagan leader. And Lord, I believe we, we have a pagan leader. And I pray that you would get Biden's attention and that you would humble him and he would see the laws that he's passing don't honor you, God. We pray for a gospel witness in his life, scripture that has been invested in, into his soul that would bear fruit, that he, he would have the fear of God. Lord, we pray for Governor Polis. Lord, would you humble him? Would he see the love of God? Would he see the goodness of God? And would he, would he turn to you? Or we pray over these pagan corporations that have such influence, that have work environments that are contrary to you and try to silence the, the witness of Jesus. And we pray you would humble them and that they would come to know you. And God, we just want to see the lost found. We want to see people's lives be saved and, and be restored. So Lord, we're hopeful. We're hopeful because you are the God who restores. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.